I'm Khalil Ekelona, and this is Nashville. One thing that's true about life is that we're all bound to grow older. That's if we're lucky. The elders of our communities are full of wisdom, life experience, and stories. For many, they're valued treasures who can help younger generations make their way on the path of life. But does our society value elders in the process of aging? Ageism is a very real issue that our elder generations face. From discrimination due to ignoring older adults, our society has a long way to go before we honor and treat our elders with the care and reverence they deserve. Here with me now is Diane Oliver, the executive director of the West End Home Foundation. Diane, thanks for joining us. Welcome to This is Nashville. Thanks for having me. Really a pleasure to have you with us. So tell us, what is ageism? Give us the true definition. Um, ageism is any form of uh, discrimination, stereotyping, negative attitudes based on age. We see it in just in society in general. We see it in workplaces. We see it in our healthcare industry. Um, it's very pervasive and manifests itself in in all aspects of our life. What are some of, what are the proper terms that we should be using when we talk about older members of our community? Um, you're doing it very well right now. We, um, uh, the Frameworks Institute did some research several years ago looking at what what do we want? How do we want to refer to older people? And, you know, senior citizens was not a favored um, name. Elderly was definitely uh, not considered age friendly. So we like to talk about them as older adults, older people, older members of our community. Um, and again, it's it's older. All people... Old age is such a broad term, uh, ranging from 50s, you know, up into early 100s now. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we prefer to look at it more across the lifespan. Okay, so, so how does ageism affect older adults? Like, what can the effects be? Okay, well, there was a study that Becca Levy did. She wrote a book called Breaking the Age Code. And um, she found that individuals with a more positive self-perception of aging lived on average 7.5 years longer mm. than those with less positive self-perceptions. And, and the people with this more positive self-perception had better overall health. So not only did they live longer, they lived healthier, more active lives. And so much of our self-perception comes from the messages we get from the media, from other people. So ageism can have some real negative health impacts. Now, you mentioned before that there's a, you look at it throughout the entirety and the course of life, and people can consider being older 50 to 100 these days. Um, one of our producers mentioned that when Luke Perry was on the cover of AARP magazine at 50 years old, it shocked everybody. And look, I turned 50 last September. I have yet to receive my AARP card. I don't know what they're doing, but I know it was something that was bound to happen. When we talk about the age range of people and elders and, and, elders and what it's like to grow older, what should we really be thinking about? There's a difference between being 57 and being 77, right? There's a, a big difference, but it, there's also people age very differently. 
Some people at 57 are functionally where some other people at 87 are. So it's it's I think the term is it's your stage, not your age. Biological mm-hmm. age alone is not a determinant of, of how you're going to be able to live. Um, you look at Mick Jagger at 80, yeah. uh, you know, Ringo Starr. I mean, there's there are a lot of very active, healthy people in their 80s. Um, so there are so many social determinants of health, longevity, and how people age. Um, you know, poverty has a huge impact on how people are able to age, um, as, as well as, you know, genetics mm-hmm. play a factor as well. What are some of the most common examples of ageism that we see in our society today? Okay, I think some of the ageist stereotypes, um, people are no longer effective in the workplace um, or that they're keeping young people from higher paying jobs. So there's a lot of discrimination of older people remaining in the workplace. Uh, I think the saying, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Mm -hmm. Um, Look at numbers of, of older adults who are registered for lifelong learning classes, who are continuing to learn languages, learn new new skills. So um, there's just, again, that's, that's a stereotype that doesn't bear out. And I, I think one of the most damaging is that all old people are frail with diminished mental capacity. And, you know, that's not the majority of older people, mm-hmm. but that that's the perception. And so that's one we really, really need to change. And one that I, I love um, to talk about is that older people don't understand technology. Mm-hmm. They're not tech savvy. They can't learn how to use computers. Um, we have in, our foundation has invested a lot of money into digital literacy programming. And we have older adults from age 60 clear into their 80s, and there's always a couple in their early 90s that take these classes and become fairly proficient. Is, um, do, do you think that stereotype is pervasive because younger generations don't necessarily have the patience to teach and to show o- older older Americans how to use this technology? I think it's because we have, we have become a society, uh, we've become a very age-segregated society, that there aren't opportunities for young people and older people to interact mm-hmm. on a regular basis. Certainly outside of families and even within families, the older adults often aren't present in family life in a very robust way. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we have funded a project that Nashville Public Library uh, does. It's called Cyber Seniors, and they pair high school graduates with older adults to help them learn their technology and to hear the stories that come from both age groups about, wow, didn't realize how much we had in common. Mm. And, you know, these kids thought, oh, they're never going to learn this. But then they realize, oh, they they can learn and they want to learn. And this is so cool. So, I mean, we need to bring people together. And kid, the kids have an opportunity to learn a thing or two about life as well. Yes, they do. Mm. I'd like to introduce my next guests. Mike Hodge is the former director of NOAA and Marta Lugo volunteers with Turk and other organizations in the Latino community. Mike, Marta, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having us. Thank you for inviting me. You know, I want to ask you both. Have you experienced ageism in your lives, Mike? Not a lot. Um, I do think there are sometimes I'm in conversation with people 
and you can kind of tell the way that they look at you hmm. <laughs> just in the conversation. Um, maybe your comments are not quite as important as someone from a younger, uh, younger group. Hmm. Interesting. Marta. <laughs> well, talking, talking about my perspective from uh, my community, ageism is kind of a, you know, we see it in a different way because we are very family tied together. We kind of uh, t- think, uh, take care of our elders or of, uh, we call them viejitos, mm. uh, which is a, you know, a word for uh, all people. And uh, like uh, my father, he, he used to live until he passed away at, at away at the age of uh, 97 and a half years old. Mm-hmm. So it was such a great pleasure to have him around us. And our community is very, very uh, uh, conservative on that, uh, you know, kind of things. Yeah. Like, like uh, we don't uh, kick, like, uh, kick them away from home or mm-hmm. nothing like that. We kind of uh, take care of them until they're ready to go. Okay. Okay. Now, ageism, it's, it's a lot more than attitudes about getting older. There's structural and institutional things that really make it difficult to grow older in our society. Mike, can you give us some examples of structural ageism that are out there? The main one I think that concerns me right now is just the cost of housing in Nashville. It's uh, 52.8% of senior renters are paying more than 30% of their income in housing. So you're saying over 50%, 53% of seniors, if they're renting, are paying way too much money. And we've seen this happen with some of the congregations. NOAA is made up of congregations, by the way. It's Nashville Organized for Action and Hope. We're 70 congregations, labor unions, and other groups. And one of the congregations, uh, Jefferson Street Baptist, was telling us that there were so many elderly folks coming to their church that they had thought were homeowners, but turns out they were renters, just very long-term renters. Mm -hmm. And as costs have gone up, they're now living in other counties, and it's very hard for them to get back to church. So I guess my big concern about structural ageism is who do we want this community to be? Do we want this just to be an incredibly wealthy community? Or do we want this to be a community of all income levels, all age groups, instead of just pushing them out? Uh, By the way, 25% of senior homeowners are cost burdened. What what worries you about that? Because... You know, the cost of living. I want to stay here. I I hear that. We need you to stay here. I mean, the the cost of living is continuing to go higher and higher, but many older Americans are living on a fixed income. Yep. Yep. How do we how do we come to balance that out? I think that's that's the thing that I want us to struggle with as a city, you know, not just for for seniors, although seniors are kind of the tip of the iceberg in some important ways. Um, I want us as a city to start thinking about who is it we want this community to be? You know, what uh, it's common from people in congregations and other places to talk about the beloved community. What is the beloved community that we want? You know, um, and that means that we have to take, uh, we have to really do something about this. Now, some of the things Noah has done, not just to pat ourselves on the back, but some of the things we've tried to do is we've uh, lobbied the city council and the mayor over the past eight years, and we've gotten over $100 million dedicated to affordable housing. We've helped to create a separate division of affordable housing in the Metro Planning Department. So at least there's a structure in the city government that's supposed to be looking at this stuff. But there's so so much more to do. 
Mm. Now, Marta, are you retired? Uh, not yet. I'm planning to uh, stay active uh, like on another year or two, but uh, it will be it will be here in no time. Okay. Now, have you thought about like the cost of living going up and how you'll handle that once you retire? Uh, yeah, uh, I'm afraid of uh, like uh, he was talking about the housing, how it went up so so high uh, recently. And a lot of uh, like uh, my community, uh, all people, we don't have like a, a retirement plan. Mm. A lot of us, uh, we don't have like a, a, a social security in- income. Mm-hmm. And it, I think it's gonna, uh, it's affecting us very, very strong on that uh, purpose because uh, we, we just don't have that path to, for this retirement. And, well, it is uh, kind of hard to think about that, Yeah, you know? And, and, and another thing is that like uh, uh, savings, uh, you know, we, we don't have a, like a, a retirement save, savings either, some of us. And so there's another thing to, you know, look at the programs that can help these people to get in track on that. That's I. I want to talk a little bit more about that after we take this quick break. Okay. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation about aging and the barriers it presents. We'll also discuss what growing older is like from a cultural perspective. And as always, you can join the conversation by reaching out at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Colonna, and this is Nashville. We're talking about growing older and ageism here in Middle Tennessee. Now, our society tends to put older Americans toward the back and out of the way. That practice creates many problems. For one, it creates a fissure in the connection between different generations, and it relegates humans full of experience and wisdom as irrelevant. So how can we change our perspective on growing older so it becomes something we all welcome with open arms rather than run from in fear? My guests are Diane Oliver, Marta Lugo, and Mike Hodge. Again, thank you all for being here with us. Now, Marta, I understand that you're from Mexico, right? Yes, sir. So talk to me about, you mentioned it a little bit before the break, but talk to me about how elders are treated in your culture. Uh, for us, or uh, old people or viejitos are very important because it's a great source of uh, wisdom, love, and, you know, togetherness. Yeah, that's, as I was telling you, uh, we kind of uh, uh, keep our old people very close to, to the family because... Uh, that's the way it's been happening for so so many years since I remember uh, my grandma, my great grandma. Even though we, they didn't live with us in the same house, they were they were very close to us. Mm-hmm. We got to them when we need uh, uh, an advice and to to some other things that we uh, appreciate from them. Now. now- Multi or multi generational households very common. It is. It is very common. Uh, 
a lot of people, especially from uh, in the country, in ranch farms and everything, well, they have very big lands and well, they build a house all uh, big enough for a lot of our uh, family members. What are the benefits about having a multi-generational household? I can imagine being a young person growing up with your grandmother or, mm -hmm. you know, or your grandfather around. There's so many stories and so much wisdom you can gain, right? Yeah, especially that we, uh, I'm talking about Mexicans, we are very tradition uh, followers, mm -hmm. uh, that we have a, a lot of uh, uh, customs that uh, we keep following uh, one gener generation after another one, a lot of traditions on, or about how they care of our young people and or old people and well we pass this around uh, you know over and over the family members yes yeah. now you, you have children who were born who were raised here in the united yes. states right how, how do they what's the difference in how they think or even talk about growing older uh, well you know one thing uh, about them it is like um, my mom uh, well the, the, their grandparents, my daughter's grandparents, from mom and and that side. Well, they both uh, were in Mexico, so it is very hard to see that a lot of our young kids they grow they grow up without this uh, wisdom that they can be lined up behind them. And even though we're trying to pass around several tradition, it is not the same. Mm -hmm. So kind of a we keep some of them, but we lose some, a lot of uh, a lot of them too. Mm -hmm. I understand. Yeah. Now, you know, Diane, talk to me about the cultural approach that we take here. I mean, many times older members of our families are put into nursing homes and they're taken away from their families. How does that practice break this generational chain, so to speak? And what can we do to kind of mend that break? Oh, this is, yeah, that's the million dollar question um you're right we we have not our society has not tended to keep the generations together and um and i don't i think a lot of it is they don't the older generation doesn't necessarily want to be living with their kids and their grandkids so i think it's it's been partly a mutual kind of agreement but um and i i think a lot of it a lot of it goes back to housing and housing affordability. You know, we've historically, we've been able to afford housing and live separately and live well. And we've, you know, we're getting to the point that that's maybe not going to be the reality for future generations. So we may see a shift back to it. Um, but, you know, I, I just, it's it's been a cultural mindset. And I, I you know, those are the... Um, that's a hard, hard value to overcome. Mm -hmm. But um, again, I think it goes back to, as I said earlier, we've just adopted this age segregated society with retirement communities and assisted living. And, you know, nursing homes are the extreme. By the time someone needs a nursing home, they need round the clock care. And often that is not realistic for families to provide in the home. But we need to 
we need to try to break out of those age silos. Yeah, housing is an issue for a lot of folks. I mean, I think of my own mom. She lives in an apartment complex that was an old elementary school that they converted into apartments for older Americans. That's cool. You got to be 61 to live there. She loves it. She absolutely loves it. And she really enjoys it as, as well as her neighbors. Do we, do we even have places like that here in Nashville? There are a few. There are a few. Um, but uh, we need more. We need more supported housing where they can live together but still be in their communities mm -hmm. and be part of, you know, the age-integrated community. You know, and I read an article over the weekend that I think highlighted some of the issue is, um, you know, a lot of their baby boomers now are basically stuck mm -hmm. in their homes that they raise their families in because they can't afford to sell and downsize with, you know, the homes are paid for. So, um, you know, it's not a financially viable option mm. to move into something that's more age appropriate or perhaps closer to kids and other family members. I, I'm also thinking about accessibility. Like, Mike, is Nashville accessible for older people? Depends on what part and how much money you want to pay. But mm. um, I, I would say in general, no. Um, I think there have been, uh, Diane probably knows better than I about some of these things, but I think the city has made some real efforts in terms of uh, public transportation, in terms of sidewalks where they are. Uh, we still need more. Um, but in terms of homes, I th there are a couple of nonprofits that their job is to help older adults to make their homes more accessible. You know, sometimes widening doorways or, you know, dealing with uh, bathrooms in a different way. So I think um, that's, that is one thing I think we need to be concerned about. Just to tag on to what D Diane was saying, though, I think one reason that we're not uh, in multi-generational households anymore is mobility. Because, like, uh, uh, as a child grows up, they become an adult and they get a job in Chicago or in, mm. you know, it's, or, or maybe just uh, different parts of town. Um, I think mobility as well as choice, you know, it uh, causes us, it's one of the cultural influences that cause us not to be in the multi-generational households. Like, so you're saying like having this freedom to kind of, you know, go out and explore, pursue a life anywhere in the country kind of takes us away from the comfort and the wisdom and joy of living in a sort of a double-edged double-edged sword mm -hmm. you know yes there are some good things about the mobility there's also some bad things and that's done the same th kind of thing to our neighborhoods you think about our neighborhoods used to be when you grew up in a neighborhood you knew the folks that were around you you there were relationships that developed throughout the whole neighborhood and now partly because of mobility um uh people are not experiencing that anymore mm -hmm. you you're doing good if you know the people on the right and the left of you Mm. You know, there's this also myth or misperception that elders aren't really capable of taking care of themselves or being in positions of leadership. I'm thinking about the upcoming general election we got happening. I mean, if it goes the way we're looking, both of the candidates will be over the age of 76 for president. There's a lot of conversation about the ability of them, either one of them being able to run the country properly. And I'm going to be real. Being the president is one of the hardest jobs in the world, so I think it's going to be hard for anyone, no matter what age you are. But it's a real worry for some, and it can create the idea that older folks are no longer significant of significant use in our society. You know, I'd love to hear from all of you, but, you know, Diane, starting with you, how does that, 
line of thinking negatively about the effect, how does that affect other seniors who aren't necessarily running for president? They just want to live their lives. You know, those attitudes, I think they affect everybody. They really make everyone of a certain age kind of question their self-worth and their self-value. And it's really unfortunate. And again, you know, kind of going back to Becca Levy's study that, you know, your attitudes about your age impact your quality of life, your health and longevity. So, you know, our media has done a terrible job of portraying older people. And I go back to it was right around Ageism Awareness Day when The New Yorker had the cover with um, President Biden, Trump, I think Pelosi was on there, Mm -hmm. all with wheelchairs and, and walkers. And, you know, it's just that presumption that you reach a certain age, you're no longer capable. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't know how we get away from that, except for older people proving them wrong. You know, we're very capable. Marta, how can we look at at the process of growing older in a different manner to where it's something that we respect rather than something we fear? I think we have to start uh, teaching our young people, you know, the respect for these uh, old people and to uh, compaginate their lives. You know, I seen a, a research in that in one of a, in one school they were having this program where all people come and and, and get together with young young kids and. I don't know if you ever seen this, uh, uh, I don't know, uh, program, but uh, it is very helpful for young kids to learn from the old people. How can they, you know, manage life uh, as they grow old, as the kids kids grow old? And it is a very uh, good way to teach them well, how to interact with all people. And like uh, D- Diane said, uh, well, we have to uh, kind of uh, get them together. Get them together. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the pandemic showed just how many older people kind of live alone out there, uh, you know. And yeah. uh, Diane was mentioning how m- many baby boomers are stuck in their homes alone. Their kids are away. Mm-hmm. You know, some of us may have neighbors who live alone. Marta, what advice would you give someone who wants to get to know an older neighbor who may be alone? Uh, probably, uh, I, I, I wish I can, you know, go around my neighborhood and, and see which one really needs help for that. I've been with some organization about volunteering work about you know, bring them, bringing them food or meds or stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I think it is a, a good way to show them that we love them, that we need them, and that we will benefit from them as well as they can, you know, benefit from young people. Yeah. You know, a lot of seniors just aren't sitting at home. They're out there doing stuff and living life. (laughs) I'd love to hear from all of you. Mike, what are you, you're active in your community. Like, what are some of the things that you're doing to enjoy life? Well, you you ask a grandfather, what does he do to enjoy life? And what are you going to hear? I mean, if if this were TV, I could show you pictures of my nine grandchildren. (laughs) Okay. I'm, I'm excited about that. But in terms of staying active and involved in things, I think it's easy for older folks to get pushed to the side and think, well, um, sometimes they think it about themselves. 
You know, what what is it that people ask you when you meet someone? The question very quickly becomes, so what do you do? Mm -hmm. Well, I'm retired. Oh, (laughs) yeah. You know, so in my case, I'm volunteering with the organization I used to work for, NOAA. So I'm working on an affordable housing task force uh, as a volunteer to try to see how can we make changes in some of these things? How can we get more city resources invested in these things that to me are so critical for older adults as well as for younger folks? Um, But I think the thing I want to emphasize with that, I guess, is um, older adults are not just recipients of services. I, I want us to be able to to be nice to older folks, look out for them, you know, to be, be good to our neighbor. But I want us to see older folks as leaders just as well as younger folks are. Mm-hmm. And in fact, o- older people very often have more time to invest in something like that. So you'll see that uh, voting tends to be higher among older adults, um, but not just voting. We need older adults to be involved, to be going to city council meetings, to be um, talking to each other about, well, what are the things about Nashville you love? What are the things we need to change? Those kind of conversations need to be taking place, and people need to be taking the leadership to make that change. Mm-hmm. Now, Diane, tell me, what words of advice or encouragement would you give to an older listener who may be feeling stuck or as if they don't have value for society? Um, I, I would say be true to yourself. Um you know, you do have value. Don't let ageist stereotypes um, dictate your life. You know, do the things you want to do and are able to do and and look for new things to do. Um, you know, I, I had to chuckle when Mike said, you know, he's, people ask him, what do you do? Well, I'm retired. Well, the question I often get is, well, when are you going to retire? Hmm. Well, you know, <laughs> yeah. I'm still enjoying working, enjoying, you know, being part of a philanthropic community and uh, trying to combat ageism. And, you know, that's just not on my radar. And I think we all need to look at what's important to us and go out and do it. Don't let people or systems or attitudes keep you from doing new things and kind of fulfilling your passion. Mm -hmm. Okay, real quick. What's the best part about growing older, Diane? I think I I just feel so much more comfortable with who I am. And I feel like, you know, I just am having more fun than I probably had in my 20s and 30s. That's fantastic. Marta, what's the best part about growing older for you? Well, I think it is not to... you know, ask permission to do things. And like Diane said, well, uh, all people still very, very full of energy that they can spread uh, through, you know, and to the young people. And yeah, Mm -hmm. it is, I think, not to ask uh, for permission and Go and do what you are capable to do at any age. Wonderful. I want to thank my guests, Marta Lugo and Diane Oliver, for being with us. I really appreciate you both coming on to the show. And Mike, Mike Hodge is going to stick with us through the break. We, When we come back, we'll pop in on a talent show for seniors and talk to some other Nashvillians who aren't taking aging lying down. You can join the conversation by tweeting us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back.
I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. We've been talking about some of the challenges facing elders in our community, but that's not stopping some of them from showing their stuff. In October, we sent our producer Magnolia McKay down to the Franklin Theater to check out some older adults who were participating in a friendly little competition. It's a Tuesday evening, and the Franklin Theater is packed. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome our hosts for the Morning Point Foundation Seniors Got Talent Franklin Showcase. Chief Meteorologist at WSMB4, Miss Lisa Spencer. This Art Deco Theater seats about 300 people, and the show is sold out. The crowd is lively, responsive, and some have brought signs, notably a bunch of oversized poster board signs of one contestant's face. Do you guys have some signs out there? Yeah. This is Morning Point's fifth year putting on the Seniors Got Talent event. On stage with MC Lisa Spencer is a panel of judges Modeled after shows like America's Got Talent or The Voice, the judges will give feedback after each performance. Our 12 acts are going to be judged on stage presence, technical ability, appearance, creativity, and crowd appeal. And the first place prize is expect from the Nashville area, there are many singers and songwriters represented in the contestants. If you backing tracks, like 74-year-old Judy Street, who actually had a hit with this song, What, in the UK in the 70s. And then there's Brett McCreary, age 65, who croons all over the stage. attention to the only female judge, up-and-coming country artist Mackenzie Wasner. That was so fun. You've got such a fun swagger about you. Thank you for the eye contact. It really, it really made you go up a lot of points. In fact, the only performer who's not a musician is the flag batonist, 76-year-old Belinda French. Now, you'll just have to picture Belinda twirling these colorful batons, tossing them up in the air, and catching them every time. There is a level of professionalism you have to bring and dexterity that comes not only in the performance, but also in changing from one flag to the next. 
and she did that exceptionally seamlessly. That's Judge Alex Tinker IV, an artist, songwriter, and podcast host. All of the feedback that judges give throughout the night is positive and encouraging. Some of these contestants have made a career in music, like piano teacher Edie Farm. But a lot of them only started performing later in life. And in addition to raising funds for the foundation and nurse scholarships, that's kind of the whole point of this event. Spotlighting that there's still a lot of fun and life to be lived after retirement. And now, the moment we've all been waiting for. Brett McCreary's Me and Mrs. Jones wins him the People's Choice and third place prizes. Judy Street picks up second place. And I'm so happy to And the winner of a $500 cash award is going to be Jack Wise. Jack is a 66-year-old pianist who played his original composition, Live Life More. the crowd spills out into the street and I get a minute with Brenda Gibson, the 67-year-old whose fan club brought the big face signs. That was the most fun. Did she know her family and friends were going to fill the auditorium with her oversized face? No, I did not know those faces were coming. This is Brenda's first Seniors Got Talent performance, but she can't wait to do it again. I'm coming back. So y'all save your faces for next year. Morning Point Senior Living is holding a best of the best contest where the winners of each regional Seniors Got Talent contest collect votes to be the ultimate winner. Good news for our region. Franklin's Jack Wise is in the lead. Voting ends tomorrow, so go out there and represent for Jack, y'all. Now, one of the greatest treasures in my life are the moments where I've met an older person who is not slowing down. If anything, they are truly living life to the fullest. For me, it's inspiring and helps to broaden my perspective as I get older. I'd like to welcome my guests who are doing just that. They are both enjoying their lives. Here to tell us how we can do that as well are Joanne Brannon. She's a retired school teacher and administrator. Joanne, welcome to This is Nashville. Thank you. And joining her is Dee Billy Sanders, a retired attorney and co-founder of the Metropolitan Interdenominational Church. She's also a former guest of the show. Billy, good to see you again. Thank you for being here. Thank you. It's good to be here. Now. Joanne, when you hear the tropes about seniors slowing down and fading away, what comes to your mind? That I'm personally not ready for that hmm. statement to be true. So I am fortunate enough to have good health and uh, enjoying my retirement is something that I plan to continue to do. I have young grandchildren and uh, so that keeps me moving. I travel to see them uh, often uh, to Maryland. And so I'm trying to use every moment that I have to enjoy life. Mm. Well, other than traveling, what else are you doing to stay active? I am doing a little uh, Tai Chi. Okay. And um, uh, some chair yoga. 
and I'm actively involved in the Hadley Park Tennis Club that I've been a member of for many years. I understand you and Billy play tennis together, right? Yes, we do. How often do you all play tennis? Well, with the club, uh, we play once a week for two hours, but I've met some people at the club and I have court time and now I play at least three days a week. Three days a week. What do you love so much about it? Well, it's it's a, just a competitive sport, and it's it's fun. I my godmother gave me a tennis racket when I was six years old, and told me that this was a game I could play all my life, mm-hmm. and it's true. And I never really had enough time to play it as much as I would like to, and so uh, being retired has allowed me to to do that. Okay, I want to talk to you about that because retirement it brings a large amount. You have suddenly a lot of time on your hands. Some people, that's a struggle. Admittedly, my father has struggled with retiring. He's trying to find things to do. I'm like, you can do whatever you want. But it's hard for him to kind of fill up that mental space that he had when he was working. What has the transition been like for you? How have you adapted to having a lot more time on your hands? Uh, Well, I will say that I am living my best life. I uh, retired from my law firm when I was in my late 50s, and I knew that when I did that, people were going to ask me. I was already always volunteering, very active in the community, and everybody was going to ask me to do a lot of things, which they did. And for that first year, I said, no, I'm going to figure out what I want to do. And so I, I I play tennis three days a week. I line dance uh, three days a week. I travel without having to think about uh, you know what I've got to do at work. Mm-hmm. And uh, I I'm active in my church. I'm on the YWCA board. I'm on the 54 at Bardo. Uh, advisory committee. I'm on the Civil Service Commission. I'm uh, on the advisory board of First Tennessee Bank. I work with NOAA. I, I'm on the Napier Louis Bar, Bar Association Foundation. I'm uh, the class agent for my class at Fisk University. Okay. And so, uh, I've, and I spend time with my family. I have three grandchildren and uh, I'm able to go. They don't live in the city, so I'm able to go to their birthdays and dance recitals and so forth. So uh, I, I I just like the fact that I can wake up in the morning and I decide, you know, what I'm going to do. It's funny because that freedom you're talking about is something that younger generations desperately want these days. <laughs> you know, but I, I feel like that freedom is earned and not given. You got to put your time in to have this freedom that's there. You know, Joanne, what type of conversations do you have with your peers about all this time that you have on your hands to pursue your interests and the things you'd like to do? Well, many of my friends are also very active and uh, they are involved in many different organizations. And so we have a lot in common. Uh, One of the things that I have attempted to do is to have some some balance with the uh, ages of the friends that I do have. Mm-hmm. Um, the tennis allowed me to coordinate some activities for other young ladies. And so they are much younger and m- more agile than I. And so I just make sure that uh, things are in order for them to uh, be successful as they compete. Mm. Not necessarily uh, do I always play, but they they enjoy having the uh, coordination uh, taken care of for them. So that keeps me actively involved with younger younger people. How do, how does that that relationship with the younger generation? How does that just benefit both you and them? Well, I I think they uh, do respect 
the fact that we are active and uh, they uh, listen to us and they treat us with respect, Mm -hmm. I have found. What about you, Bailey? Oh, I agree wholeheartedly, Joanne. I mean, I think it's important to have friends of all ages. Uh, I have friends of all ages, let's say, for example, in the Bar Association, the young folks, the young lawyers are moving and shaking and kind of running like the Napier Luby Bar Association, for example. I love to see them doing that. I I serve on the foundation board, but, you know, I I learn from them and they learn from me. Mm -hmm. I teach or did before COVID that taught the teen class at my uh, church. And I learn from those teens and they learn from me. And I love teenagers. And so I love to interact with people that are younger than me. Now, Mike Hodge is still with us. Mike, talking about the freedom of retirement and having time on your hands. How has that helped you in improving your relationship with yourself? Oh, that's a great question. I'm still working on that. But let me tell you where where I've gotten to. And that is just... uh, uh, being retired, I've had more time to think about myself and who I want to be. And I think a lot of retired folks, they um, they search for something to go volunteer and to, to, to be a part of. And I think that's a thing that we need to do. But I think we also need to be able to relax enough and say, so who am I really? Mm-hmm. Um, am I who I uh, was in my work life? Or what's what's the legacy that I want to leave for for my family and for my community. So I've seen a lot of older folks, retired people that have been a part of Noah's work and Noah involves younger people as well as older, but um, I've seen a lot of retired people that are a part of Noah's work um, want to work on some of the same things they did in their work life, but maybe now it's about changing things. So a former teacher might be about trying to change the education system now, Mm -hmm. for example, or somebody who had, We've got one person that worked with the sheriff's office and knew a lot about the difficulty people had uh, when they got out of jail, finding a finding a place to live. And so now she's volunteered some with the Salvation Army, and she also works with us to try to change things and get more funds directed to those types of things. So I guess what I'm saying is you find the passion that you had, perhaps in your work life, or maybe it's a new passion, and then you work on that and create your own legacy. What did you think about? I'd love to hear from all of you briefly. We only have about three, four minutes left. But what did you think about aging when you were younger that it surprised you and you learned maybe you were spot on, maybe you were completely off as you grew older yourself? Billy? I thought 30 was old when I was a kid. (laughs) (laughs) But I learned that, you know... Aging is in a state of mind. You're mm-hmm. uh, as old as you think you are if you didn't know how old you were. Mm-hmm. So, you know, my age, if I didn't know how old I was, would probably be about 40. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Joanne? I remember being in tears uh, when I became 30 as well, <laughs> just crying and thinking that that was just so old. But now my, my mom lived until she was 96. So I learned a lot about life as she um, got older and how to um, adjust to many different things in life. And so I am grateful that I had that that uh, experience from her or through her. Mm-hmm. Mike, how is the concept of getting older bouncing around in your mind when you were younger? I wrote them off. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'd, I'd look at someone with, with gray hair and, and maybe a few more wrinkles like I've got now. And 
I don't think I did it consciously, but in the back of my mind, it was like, oh, they're such a nice person, but they're surely not able to really do and accomplish and move anything now. Mm-hmm. And I remember, um, I remember going to a meeting with Alice Cobb, uh, who was a professor at Scarrett College. She was older than I. And I, we went to this meeting and heard about community organizing, which is what I've done now for my entire career. And when we left the meeting, Alice was furious. She said, these people don't know. We've been doing this for years, you know. And after that, I thought, I really need to listen to people that have the gray hair. Mm -hmm. I need to listen to people and understand their experiences. So I think this caused me to, I think earlier I was very guilty of ageism. Yeah, I understand. Now, about over a decade ago, I listened to a BBC report where they talked to thousands of elders, 75 and older across the world, and they asked them about regrets. Only have a quick couple seconds left, but they said their biggest regret, the overwhelming choice was living life for someone else. People live in fear of having regrets and not taking an opportunity when it's available or not telling someone how you feel about them when it comes, you know, when you have the opportunity. As you reflect on your lives, real briefly, how do you feel about regrets, Billy? I, I don't have any regrets. I think I took advantage of uh, of opportunities that came to me that I wasn't expecting, and I took some risk, and they worked out okay. I you know I've gratefully I've been healthy. I've had great family relationships. I told everyone that that I loved that has died that I loved them and I had a good relationship with them. So I I have no regrets. I mean, Mm -hmm. there may be some things I would have done differently, but I don't regret the choices I've made. Joanne, what advice would you have for a younger person about regrets and how to manage them or avoid them? Um, Not to look back. Uh, You just must move forward. If you have uh, things that you are um, not comfortable with, then uh, let them go. Mm -hmm. move forward and enjoy life. It's wonderful wisdom. I want to thank you all for being here today. My guests are Joanne Brannon, D. Billy Sanders, and Mike Hodge. Thank you all for coming to the show and sharing your experiences with us. I appreciate it. And I know I appreciated this a lot. I'm sure our guests, our our audience did as well. I learned a lot. You're welcome. Thank Thank you. Thank you. And thanks thanks to you for tuning in this hour. This is Nashville is a production of Nashville Public Radio. Today's episode was produced by Magnolia McKay. It was directed by our senior producer, Tasha A.F. Lemley. Our board operator and technical director is Liv Lombardi. The masterminds behind our theme music are LaRange and Namir Blade. Special thanks to Grace Sutherland-Smith and LaTanya Turner. You can listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. And the conversation does not end here. Tweet us at This Is Nashville. Find us on Instagram and tell us what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This is Nashville. I'm Khalil Ekelona. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. And be good to each other.